Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of season two of God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any elements that have parallels with gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm media coordinator and undersecretary of funk, Giles Goff. And I'm filmmaker, shadow minister of sexiness, Phil Coleman. And during this time of lockdown, we'll be trying to stave off the desire to celebrate a certain presidential victory by sticking <laughs> on our... <laughs> this will be old news to you by the time uh, it yeah. gets to your listeners, but... But we're still basking in in the glory of something going right. We'll be sticking on our film geek hats to analyse Hacksaw Ridge, the 2016 biopic of Desmond Doss, the only conscientious objector to win the Medal of Honour, starring Andrew Garfield and directed by Mel Gibson. We'll be looking at pacifism, the merits of fundamentalism, who exactly are Seventh-day Adventists, and much, much more. Phil, what do you think of this film? It was so intense, just yeah. from like start to finish. Desmond Doss and his wife are the sweetest, most beautiful couple. They're just the absolute picture of what being in love really is. It was so nice to see that depicted so nicely on screen. It's got that sort of sweet element, but also it's so brutal. Yeah. It's yeah. really brutal. Like, Mel Gibson, he does not hold any punches at all. At all. Like, he is, it's so gory. <laughs> if you put Mad Max in the director's chair, what do you expect? Oh, you've got a good point there, yeah. <laughs> Mad Max and all of his all of his raider friends just there like make it squishier you know so, that's, yeah I, I absolutely loved it also vince vaughn was like my surprise actor yeah. that i thought was very good in that film he plays a drill sergeant so brilliantly and i've forgotten that sam worthington was in this as well and he does a fantastic yeah. job you don't realize it's sam worthington at all because he's playing a much more mature character from what i've seen yeah before so i yeah, really so enjoyed it without further ado let's have our phil's facts so Hacksaw Ridge, obviously a 2016 biographical war film directed by Mel Gibson. It's written by Andrew Knight and Rob Schenken. Based on 20, 2004 documentary The Conscientious Objector, which I've not seen and I would like to watch it now actually. It focuses on the World War II experience of Desmond Doss, an American pacifist combat medic who, as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, refused to carry or use a weapon or firearm of any kind. He became the first conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor for service above and beyond the Call of Duty during the Battle of Okinawa. So, Desmond Doss's nickname was Preacher. <laughs> it's pretty badass, let's just say. I would want a nickname that succinct and that brilliant. When asked how many lives he saved, Desmond Doss said approximately 50. However, witnesses said it was closer to 100. A mutual agreement was reached at approximately 75. <laughs> It's like, look, man, man's a hero. He's probably saved somewhere in the middle. Brilliant. And to be honest, considering the film, it's absolutely Desmond Doss to be that modest. It's like, I don't know, mm. like 50, maybe, probably. It was mostly God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, at the end of the movie, it says Desmond saved 75 men by directly lowering them from mm -hmm. the escarpment. He also treated around 55 more that were able to retreat without assistance after treatment during the battle. Over the course of his tour, which lasted approximately three weeks, he rescued nearly 300 men. Wow. I'd like to think I'd be that heroic one day, but I'm not sure I've got it in me. Mm. I, I, I don't yeah. think I could get to the front line without wetting myself. So. Uh, Mel Gibson said that the battle scenes were influenced by nightmares he had during his childhood 
childhood when his father, Hutton Gibson, which is an excellent name, a World War II veteran who served in Guadalcanal, which mm-hmm. I may have pronounced incorrectly, in the Pacific Theatre, but he described the horrors that he witnessed as bedtime stories. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not entirely sure that's bedtime story material, really. Doesn't that just tell you everything you need to know about Mel Gibson? And then his legs flew away from his, <laughs> his body. And he was very swiftly relieved of his arms as well. Can you imagine? Sweet dreams, Mel. Yeah, oh, dear. A, you can see the influence throughout mm-hmm. his life. The battlefield sequence overseen by Mel Gibson's longtime stunt double Mick Rogers was filmed on a small dairy farm about 100 square kilometres near Sydney in Australia. Oh, wow. S- smoke trucks circled the perimeter to make sure that any scenery that didn't look like World War II Okinawa was effectively blocked out. <laughs> Which is brilliant, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. I ain't got a minute. I don't think that's actually Japan, which is probably the worst Australian accent you've ever heard in your life. Well, the, so, the you thing know. I like about it is that thing that we, we we hit upon a lot of times where a logistical setback ends up creating a little bit of creative genius. Does that make yeah. sense? You know, Som- sometimes in the in the in the midst of a a total what could be a a, a film tanking moment. Yeah, like a production tanky moment can actually produce some of the best results in terms of aesthetic and in terms of like just problem solving. This is why I think you should have some kind of limitations when you're when you're filming. I think if you have no limitations whatsoever, I think you end up with dare I say it slightly lazy filmmaking in certain parts. You know, so. I, I'm a firm believer that restriction breeds creativity. Yeah, so. definitely. Moving on. Uh, The film received a standing ovation lasting 9 minutes and 48 seconds at the Venice Film Festival in September 2016. Mel Gibson timed it. (laughs) 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 I bet... I just just get this feeling that he's sat there with his phone. (laughs) Just there like, any day now. Yep, there we go. Let's go. Let's start. Like, like who does these things? Surely after, like, minute five, you're going, do you know what? My hands are kind of hurting a bit here now, you know? You get one clap a minute now, son. That's what you're getting. (laughs) We get it. They appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very much. Now I'm tired. (laughs) Um, When the Doss family's eating supper and Desmond's brother enters wearing an army uniform, Desmond only has vegetables on his plate. Later in the foxhole, Desmond refuses canned meat, saying he doesn't eat meat. And in real life, Desmond T. Doss was a vegetarian. Apparently, like many Seventh Day Adventists, which, uh, yeah, that was something. Yeah, that was a some, nice little touch. That is something we're going to come on to later. Early in the movie, we see a young Doss hitting his brother with a brick and causing a rather severe wound. After that, his father takes his belt off in order to punish him. And I've, I've included this because I quite like the sort of immediate symmetry that comes in. Later in the film, Doss saves a man's life by sliding a brick under the car that was crushing him and stopping the bleeding with his belt. And I think it just see it shows so it just shows those parallels of character. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I never I never twigged that, but that's that's wonderful. It's it's one of those things I never twigged it, but it makes it's just completely obvious when you hear it out loud. Because did you watch this for the first time today? Yes. Right. Okay. So so it's a bit fresher in your mind then. Yeah. I, well, I, I try I try and watch all the films quite fresh. Yeah. The day one, recording, yeah. One of my favourite things about, about doing this podcast is I'm essentially forcing you to watch the films I want you to watch. I mean, to be fair, I've not I've not thought any of them were total garbage yet, so that's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Under normal circumstances, soldiers do not salute indoors, with few in- exceptions. Reporting for pay call, which no one does in the pay call scene despite this being required. Mm-hmm. Ceremonial formations, such as in the gymnasium, when reporting to a board, i.e. a promotion interview board, or when reporting to an officer, after, i.e. after being summoned by the company commander. Furthermore, DOS salutes the court-martial panel, which is improper because soldiers in custody are actually denied 
denied the privilege of saluting in all circumstances. Oh, wow. I had no idea about that. I had no idea about that either. I thought it was quite interesting. The only thing I know about when it comes to saluting is that you don't salute in the field because if enemy snipers can see a lot of people <laughs> saluting one guy, then you know that guy is like a high-value target, you know? Yeah. You aim, aim for that guy, you know? That's, that's a good point, actually. <clears throat> I never thought of that. Not a single American soldier during the whole film is seen reloading their weapon. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's like they just have a never-ending supply of bullets. The world's biggest, like, clip. <laughs> it's like, it weighs 18 tons. In their defence, <laughs> they do seem to spend a lot of their time being set on fire by the Japanese. So I imagine that that's quite time-consuming in a lot of ways. Well, they probably didn't have to reload. They just pick up someone else's weapon that's already loaded <laughs> and be like, right, I'll get in with that one, which is horrific, actually, now I think about it. So anyway, that's, that's uh, that is me. Awesome. Thank you, Phil. Now it is time for <gasps> Finding the Faith in the Film. Da, 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 da. Normally we have a guest in this slot, but you know what I'm like. I like to mix things up every so often. So we've got a guest co-host. In a shock twist, it is a guest co-host that I'm not actually married to. So that's really sort of mixing things up quite a bit. There, you know, that, you know? that I am shocked and appalled. <laughs> yeah. This person, she is too wonderful for words, so I'm just going to let her introduce herself. I'm Natalie Austin. I am a religious studies teacher from the West Midlands. I'm also uh, have been friends with Giles for 18 years, so surely that should get me some sort of medal. They, uh, they get you a, give you a plaque at that point, I think. What, what do I get at 20 years? I think do I, I get a ceremony? I think you, you get get a statue in the Giles Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. I, I do look forward you to that. Get a, you get a cake and a hooray. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> and Natalie has been promoted from guest to guest co-host because, frankly, Hacksaw Ridge was her suggestion and there was no way we could do this film without her. The reason I suggested it is because um, I teach uh, religious studies, GCSE and A-level, and GCSE and A-level religious studies teachers love this film. Mm-hmm. It's very, very teachable. We are pandemic to the fans shamelessly with this one. <laughs> yeah. It's so rich with that kind of content as well. Like it just depicts mm. blind faith. So well, not blind faith, but fervent faith mm. Uh, mm. quite well. So Nat, what can you tell us about some of the religious issues raised by Hacksaw Ridge? Well, before going into the the kind of philosophy and religious uh, aspects of pacifism, mm. I thought it'd be interesting just to have a little discussion about um, religious views towards war. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say most religions do see war as something that should probably be avoided um, or at least not really entered into without good cause yeah. and I mean if you if you come across the idea of the golden rule uh, the golden uh, rule as I understand it is in essence the do unto others as you'd have done to yourself yeah essentially and I mean it's oh, right. it's the, the core of Christianity but yeah. um, it's not unique to Christianity Buddhists fact, have it pre- Wiccans have it every single religion as far as I'm aware has some version of the golden rule mm-hmm. so for example in Islam you have no one of you is a believer until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. In Hinduism, the Mahabharata teaches this is the sum of duty, do naught to others which if done to you would cause harm. I mean, it's literally in every single religion. It's basically the same thing, but reworded, isn't it? Like, yeah. It makes complete sense, so, you know. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, the core of many religions is just, you know, don't be an arse. <laughs> <laughs> if, you don't want pe- if you don't want people being an arse to you, don't be an arse to them, you know. You know what? Even as an atheist, that, that just <laughs> sings to my soul. Oh, I cannot wait for the uh, the NF Austin version of the of the New Testament. <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously, then if we're talking about uh, war, killing.
killing other people is very much against the golden rule like no one wants to be killed so therefore we shouldn't kill um and uh so you know pretty much all religions do have rules it's you know say don't kill anyone you know bible obviously has you know thou shalt not kill and so on um but religions they're not you know naive the religion doesn't exist in its own little bubble away from the world and society so Mm. most religions do understand the war has to happen sometimes it's it's inevitable and sometimes might be justifiable Um, and so this has led many philosophers and theologians to develop guidelines about the criteria under which war can be justified and the rules that must be followed if you're going to engage in war Um, now question for both of you possibly slightly more for Giles but have you heard of St Thomas Aquinas Tommy A yeah Tommy A I actually have yay I mean I I only know the name but I've heard of him that's good good start Yeah, yeah, yeah um so what do you know about him, Giles? I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I get St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Francis of Assisi mixed up. So that's... Oh, very different people. Exactly. It's not <laughs> this is going to sound... This is going to sound really mm-hmm. stupid. No I... such thing as a stupid question. Okay. Uh, oh, so that's oh, a teacher in me. We... I beg to differ. <laughs> no, so I used to, play, used to play this game called Deus Ex. One mm. of the characters mentions Aquinas talking about a mythical city on a hill. I don't know if that's mm. the same person. Probably. Yeah, I don't city... know about his mythical hill. Well, City on a Hill is a is a general sort of reference to sort of the perfect Jerusalem. I mean, I'm not an expert in, in eschatology, but the City on the Hill is, is the idea of a place that is completely sort of ruled by God's law and in alignment with God's law, for want of a better phrase. It's Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world, a city set on the hill. So it's... Ah, uh, okay. that's, that's I think that comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I'm not too sure. But yeah, that's where it's from, Matthew 5, 14. Ah, okay. Considering the storyline of Deus Ex, which I'll leave for the audience to to look (laughs) up, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, cool. I mean, I'm not really familiar with that part of Thomas Aquinas, but I mean, he was a prolific writer. He wrote on every topic that you could possibly imagine, and very little few things that he didn't write about. But he uh, wrote about his criteria for uh, just war, called just war theory. Um, So so according to Aquinas, war is only justified if the following criteria are met. So he was obviously a Christian theologian. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to uh, figure out a way in which we can manage war, which is inevitable with uh, Christian theology and Christian doctrine. So his just war criteria is firstly, the war must have a just cause. So, for example, to prevent invasion by a hostile force or as self-defence. War cannot be justified if the aims are just to require wealth or power. Secondly, a war can only be declared by a proper authority. So in other words, uh, the government or ruler of a nation is the only person who can declare war. So I'm very sorry to break it to you, Giles, but you personally cannot declare Declare war on your enemies. That's interesting because obviously, as Crown Prince of Anglesey, <laughs> I am tend to, to be afforded certain diplomatic rights, but I can't go to war with Stockport because I just hate them. That's not allowed. No, right? but I you'd mean... have to have a just reason. Okay, okay. How about this? They were asking for it. <laughs> That's problematic at best. Yeah, but... just across the board. Yeah, actually, but Phil, in many topics. You, you've been to Stockport. You know what I mean. See, as a Midlander, I'm completely like out of the loop here i've got no idea what you're talking okay. about Just imagine manchester but like turned down by 50%, <laughs> you know what i mean it's 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 fine it's okay it has stuff it has a hat museum that's kind of oh, nice wow okay sold yeah, that's, that's about the only thing so 
yeah, those are the, the first two. So it has to be for a good reason. It has to be a just reason. It has to be um, declared by um, a sort of legitimate authority. Yeah. Thirdly, the aim of the war must be to promote good or avoid evil with the aim of restoring peace and justice after the war is over. So later thinkers did add some further criteria. For example, the war must be a last resort when all other options have failed. Yeah. And war should be fought with proportionality, only using the minimum level of force required and only against legitimate military targets. Um, and I, I mean, even though, you know, he was writing, um, oh, when when was he around? He, well, he was, was born 12, 13th 25, century. dies 1274. Yeah. So, yeah, that's 13th century. Yeah, so we're talking, you know, 700-ish years ago and he's, uh, his ideas of what a just war is are still the the sort of criteria that we, we stick to today. Mm. So he's well, th- got that, some really good points. <laughs> yeah, those, those kind of principles are the sort of things we'd find in like the Geneva Convention, aren't they? So it's... Absolutely. Um, and I mean, Islam has also very similar criteria. So the Quran teaches that you can only wage war in self-defence. Um, you can only wage if a, if a nation has attacked an Islamic state or if another nation is oppressing its own Muslims and again there are all these sorts of rules about war must be waged in a disciplined yeah. way without anger, with minimum force and done in a way to avoid injury to non-combatants and with the humane treatment of prisoners of war so it's interesting actually when you look at what the Quran teaches and then what uh, sort of Islamic extremist groups are actually doing, it's yeah. almost like it's almost like they've misunderstood their own religion <laughs> who'd have thought it that's funny that, it's real funny <laughs> But um, going back, like to when I rewatched Taxor Ridge this week, I found it was really interesting actually that although he's a pacifist, Desmond Doss, he doesn't seem to be completely anti-war. Um, he calls himself what is it, a conscientious cooperator, not a conscientious subjector. Yeah, so mm. he he does seem to acknowledge that the war is a just war, yeah. and that he wishes to join it. He wants to help. He wants to not fight, but do something to to stop the evil that he he can see. Well, some of the early scenes, it does seem to be that there's an aspect of um, almost like that peer pressure thing. You know, everybody else is joining up. How can I not? Mm. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, with with DOS then, I mean, he understands that the war is being fought against a legitimate enemy mm-hmm. and that doing nothing would bring about greater evil than fighting. So his issue isn't seems to doesn't seem to me to be with war in general but with a a personal conviction that for he himself killing is wrong and so for me i I found his flavor of pacifism seemed to be on a very personal level rather than a national one yeah i think that comes across in the film as well like when he's he has those flashbacks to his dad trying to shoot his mom and he's Mm. he's thinking about when he hit his um brother with a brick and that I, I, I think it it comes across that his pacifism is is very much more grown from personal experience but bolstered by religion and faith it's almost like he's trying to keep his own demons at bay like yeah. he feels like he himself is quite a violent person and so he's he's trying to keep that in check and it's like his religion is giving him that structure to to live by see, i didn't yeah. get that i didn't get him <clears throat> i didn't see him as being a violent person whose religion keeps him in in check uh, at all I, there's an inherent contradiction there in that he's he's a conscientious objector who objects to war but he's taking part in it mm. which in a weird way is like a reflection of the beliefs of the the army in general you know where they they believe that that killing is bad but a war is can be justified you know well that, that's mm. that's 
contradictory. Yeah. Have you ever heard the starfish analogy? No. So it's a, it's an old story, this one, where a guy's walking along and he sees starfish being washed up on the uh, on the beach. And there's hundreds of them, absolutely hundreds of them. They've been washed up. They're going to they're going to dry out. They're going to die there because the, the waves are washing them up. And then he sees somebody coming along, picking up the starfish and throwing them back into the sea. And he says to you, well, what are you doing? There's no way you can make a difference to all these starfish. And the man who's picking up and throwing them in, he, he picks one up and he says, you see this one? Throws it back in and he says, it made a difference to that one. So yeah. it's the idea of sort of that Doss understands that he can't stop an entire war, but he can save a human being from dying from their injuries. And I thought that was a fantastic example of how we should not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I, I was going to agree. He kept with you. saying, didn't he, like, yeah. um, just one more, just one more. Yeah, um, yeah. and it's something yeah. I find myself thinking about in in similar terms, um, not in not in exactly the same way, but a mantra that I've developed a lot is, what can I do with the tools that I've got at my disposal? That's also the the same principles of like grassroots activism. That sense of, well, what can we, what can physically do? What can we make mm. better? Phil, how many how many Christian denominations can you name? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I've, I really don't count know. them. I don't know because I, I, I might be wrong. Okay, yeah, you, you might be wrong, but that is totally okay. Who are the big dogs? Like, if they were a gang, they would be the biggest gang. Catholicism. Catholicism is the biggest denomination in okay, Christianity. Well, okay, good start. Yes. So I was getting a bit nervous then that I was going to get that right, proper wrong, and I was going to get smote or something. So Christianity <laughs> is the largest religion on the planet with 2.52 billion people believing in it. Catholicism makes up 1.3 billion of those. About uh, half, is it? Yeah, approximately approximately half. And then down from that, you've got Anglicanism. You've obviously got Protestantism, which then has all these subgroupings, if you like, of Anglicanism. Well, Protestant means to protest. So whenever they have a difference and protest on some sort of theology then they split that's what uh, the word protestant that's means. not how i would strictly put it i mean protestantism as in yes they did protest against the catholic church and rome and the rest of it mm. but those beliefs were starting to gain ground long before henry the eighth decided he was desperate to get off with anne boleyn but what i mean is protestantism <laughs> <laughs> is evangelical christians another evangelicals are or evangelists or whatever uh, no evangelical you were right on the, on the first so okay, an, okay. an evangelist is a role so an evangelist is someone who I tells see. people about I Jesus see. there's different ones Anglicanism Baptism uh, Baptist sorry Martin Luther King was say a Baptist preacher Lutheranism I've, Methodism I've definitely heard of more of these than I yeah. realised yeah don't, don't forget the Eastern Orthodox as I, well I'm not forgetting the Eastern Orthodox <laughs> they're a great bunch of lads at 22 million <laughs> Just, uh, a, just a bunch. <laughs> yeah. But the there's certain people who, because you just don't really know much about them, there's an almost slight wariness to them that, that, that certain denominations have, you know? And because I think we don't have that many Seventh-day Adventists in this country, we're not as, as familiar with. So I was doing a little bit of research, and it, you're right, it backs up some of what Phil was saying about the uh, the vegetarianism or, or veganism. It, it says, and again, I am co- quoting from Wikipedia here, so my sincerest apologies, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it's all about adhering to kosher food laws, which I thought was really, really interesting. Interesting. The denomination grew out of the Millerite movement in the United States during the mid-19th century, and it was formally established in 1863. So I think this is one of those denominations that is, I don't want to say predominantly American, but certainly has its roots there. So I think mm. that's 
because mm-hmm. you, yeah. you're probably more likely to bump into them over there. There is a Seventh Day Adventist church in my hometown. Oh, is there? Um, I must have, yeah, I must have driven past it a million times and never really sort of thought too much about yeah. it. So there are, they are here. <laughs> I saw one in Manchester on Peter Street called the Church of Jesus Christ Scientist, which I thought was. Quite yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on, hang on, hang on. That's. That Christian is that Christian scientist? I think it might be, yeah. Right, um, so and Christ- I don't know anything about that, but yeah, yeah so, I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> so Christian scientists is, I mean, Nat, you can tell me I'm wrong. Is this Scientology? No, no, no. Mm, okay, very much. Right. no, no. Science, Scientology science. is nothing to do with Christianity. Uh, Christian sciences are. Oh, do you know what? Again, it's one of those fringe uh, denominations I don't know a whole lot about, but I think they're pretty new as well. I think maybe a hundred years old. Yeah, like I say, there's certain denominations who, for want of a better phrase, you're like, yeah, okay, you're cool. And then others where you're like, not, not, not too sure about these fellas. I'm going to cross the street to avoid them. Um, <laughs> just certain things that you make you feel uncertain, that's all. In most cases, under most circumstances, you have to you have to remember that if you asked 100 people who Jesus is, you'd get 100 very different answers. So when it comes to Christians dealing with other Christians, you have to ask yourself, okay, well, what do you believe? I'd say your core beliefs are, you believe that Jesus was a real person, that he was the son of God, that he died, that he rose again, and that you can be saved by believing in him and asking him into your life. Those, I would say, are your five core things. Anything else, I'm happy to debate and discuss and and all the rest of it. But if you don't believe those things, then we're probably not on the same wavelength here. Would you include the Trinity in that as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there are some branches of Christianity called non-Trinitarians that don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, So like Mormons, for example, they don't believe in the Trinity. Yeah, so... when we talk about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't want to speak for the entirety of Christianity here, but... They're generally seen as, like, a bit not quite Christian by a lot of mainstream Christianity. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, rewrote the New Testament. They they changed key wording. So, for example, I think it's John 1. In the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's your, your Trinity mm. thing, you know? And in the Jehovah's Witness version, the Watchtower Bible, it says, in the beginning there was God... In the beginning, there was the word, and the word was was a god, and word was with a god. Oh, so it's like separating. separating them. And the Mormons basically just wrote their own testament. I'm trying to remember. I think the guy was called Joseph Smith. Sounds about right. Uh, was an American religious leader and founder of Mormonism and the Latter Day Saints movement. Now, don't get me wrong. We've talked about stuff that about the idea of of there may be in apocryphal gospels. We've talked about Nat and I yeah, have talked yeah. about the Gospel of Thomas in the past. We've talked about a Q document. We've talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls. So as Christians, we're up for the idea. We're happy to accept the idea that there were additional documents out there and other things. But nobody has gone, do you know what? I've had a revelation from the Lord. I'm going to write my own testament. Because come on, lads. You know? I can, I can see from your face that that's banned. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not cool. Don't get me wrong. You're welcome to sort of try and interpret the Bible to the best of your ability and come to very different conclusions as the sort of thing that we've talked about in our arrival episode just based on, on mm-hmm. one particular word but it feels like a bad faith thing to, to do that so now pacifism is a particularly sort of vague topic in a lot of ways what can you tell us about it pacifism so the idea that all conflicts should be solved in peace
peaceful, non-violent ways. Um, what's up really interesting when I did a bit of research on this, the word pacifism itself is only about a century old. Um, okay. The concept obviously goes back a lot longer, but um, we can actually trace the first use of the word pacifism back to uh, 1902 oh, really? at the 10th International yeah. Peace Conference. I thought, yeah, you thought it'd be one of them things that goes mm-hmm. back for hundreds of years. But the idea, obviously, to commitment uh, to peace and non-violence is a very old idea. And we often view pacifists as people who believe that the taking of life is, is always wrong and can never be justified. But it's not actually strictly true okay. because you could be a pacifist and completely believe that murder is wrong and taking a life is wrong, but still be in favour of things like euthanasia and abortion with yeah. no logical contradiction because it's, it all depends on where you judge life to to begin and end and whether or not you are more focused on sanctity or the quality mm. of life and so you could be a pacifist and pro-euthanasia so it's it's not necessarily about the taking of life i guess you could maybe say it, it's the non-consensual taking of life mm. maybe i don't know but now there are actually different types of pacifism so absolute pacifism is a stance that it's never right to take part in war even in self-defense mm-hmm. so for absolute pacifists absolutely nothing can just the deliberate taking of another person's life uh, and it argues that violence always leads to worse results than non-violence now this does sound like quite an admirable stance but it can lead to quite morally dubious outcomes so for example absolute pacifism would prevent a person from using violence to rescue an innocent person who was being attacked mm-hmm. you would just have to sort of stand by and, and and let that person come to harm because your absolute pacifism doesn't allow you to um, pacifist to avenger would have been rubbish wouldn't they yeah <laughs> don't have a lot of pacifist superheroes <laughs> can you imagine captain pacifism he's <laughs> just there just kind of like no stop or i'll uh stay yeah. say stop again <laughs> you know just, like, just, just so i'm not there's very few people that would really stand to absolute pacifism so then you have conditional pacifism so it's where a person is opposed to war and violence in principle but will sometimes accept that in some circumstances violence may be a better option than pacifism conditional pacifists are often consequentialists so they will look at the potential outcomes to decide whether violence can be justified so if using violence will result in less evil than doing nothing then violence and war is permissible so it's taking a, a utilitarian view on things pretty much yeah, yeah. well yeah. utilitarianism is a consequentialist um, philosophy oh, okay. so you look at the outcomes um, then you have selective pacifists who believe <laughs> that the morality of war <laughs> It's not quite what you think it's going to be there. And so selective pacifists, they believe that the morality of war is a matter of the degree of violence used. So generally they're opposed to violence, but it's it's all about the the level of violence you use. So such pacifists may not be anti-war per se, Mm -hmm. but only oppose wars where there is an excess of force. So, for example, pacifists, selective pacifists would be opposed to wars involving chemical warfare, biological warfare, nuclear nuclear weapons, things. And then finally, there's one more type, which is active pacifism. So these pacifists are morally opposed to violence and war, but they will actively work to promote peace. So it's not just standing back and going, I'm not getting involved. Mm -hmm. It's more, okay, war's happening. It shouldn't. I'm going to try and do something to to make the situation better. So they may refuse to fight, but they may take up non-combatant roles, such as medics or ambulance drivers. So that's the Desmond Doss role that we've got here. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, you know, he is is an excellent example of an active pacifist. He refuses to even touch a gun, but he still wishes to contribute through non-violent means. It's all about kind of reducing the harm as much as he can. So I think he's an excellent example. Absolute pacifism has 
has its limits in the sense that yeah. that would not have worked on Hitler. You know, they, they no. try to appeasing him. They try to say, here, have a bit of this. Are we cool? No. Oh, okay, apparently not. So there has to be some areas where it's it's justified. What I thought was interesting yeah. was this idea of fundamentalism or the, the need to hold to something so strongly at the exclusion of everything else, which is what Dos, you could argue, he's, he's a fundamentalist mm. pacifist in the sense that he yeah, says definitely. he's definitely absolutely not going to, to do this. And you brought up the topic oh. of, uh, of abortion earlier and it made me, weirdly, as I was thinking, as I was watching this film, it made me think of, of this because I wonder sometimes if glorifying people with a fundamentalist view on things is such a good idea. Mm. If people are willing to only look at one thing, to only care about one thing, whether that can then lead to further problems. So if we take mm. abortion, for example, I am absolutely not going to get into the morality of whether it's right and whether it's wrong yet. And mm. just so we're clear, neither are you two, <laughs> because that's a longer conversation. But yeah, what's happened with American evangelicals is they have taken taken that to that so strongly they believe so strongly in the evil of abortion that they're willing to overlook the evils of cops shooting black men they're willing mm. to overlook the evils of sexual predators they are willing to overlook any manner of things because of this one particular thing yeah. and it's it's one of those areas where i sometimes worry that what we're seeing in entertainment is reflected and taken out of context in real life and the thing i thought was interesting was dos for the majority of the film is this fundamentalist kind of figure he says i won't pick up a rifle even when they say to him look just do the test you don't have to do it again you're fine and he said, his wording was, I won't pick up a rifle. Not, I won't shoot it. I literally won't pick it up. And yet, what do we see when he finds his sergeant, Vince Vaughn, injured? In that, that one of the last scenes, he yeah, picks yeah. up his rifle, he wraps the blanket around it, and he carries him away whilst Vaughn is shooting at the Japanese soldiers coming straight at them. So, as unsexy as this sounds, sometimes I think we need to find the heroism in a compromise. And I think that's sometimes yeah. some of the things that's some of the most important things for us to progress as a society for want of a better phrase anyway I'm coming down on my soapbox now that's, that's <laughs> all I wanted to say um, so coming back to what you were saying about pacifism now, what are some of the problems with it this was one of the issues that I kept thinking about when I rewatched this movie so Doss refuses to fight but at the same time he does acknowledge the legitimacy of the war uh, so his brand of pacifism only really works on a personal level uh, an army might be able to accommodate a handful of Desmond Dosses but if everyone in the military were to take the same pacifist standpoint then then no one would fight and the evil that the war is aiming to eradicate would run free. So I suppose you could argue that if everyone on the planet decided to be a pacifist in the same way as DOS, then it would be great. There would be no wars. However, we do unfortunately live in a world where there is evil and hostile forces that do need to be met with equal force. Therefore, pacifism as a national policy is almost unheard of. You, you don't get countries that are completely pacifist. You get countries that are neutral, mm -hmm. like um, is it Switzerland, who just, you know, they guys fight amongst yourselves leave us out of it I mean, but you don't the whole have thing where it is like i'm going to be switzerland in this situation it's a whole yes thing. yeah <laughs> but at least say switzerland though they do have an army and they're not pacifists because if you attack them they'll fight you back yeah. they have yeah. one um, of the highest uh, amounts of gun ownership and uh, the lowest amount yeah. of gun violence in uh, in the world because everybody has i'm sorry a lot of people have rifles but all the ammunition is centrally located mm. i don't yeah. tend to worry too much what you're saying now about if everybody was pacifist because mm. well that's never gonna happen 
let's not worry no, about it. No. It's, a, it's a reductio ad absurdum kind of argument. If there is a sort of um, conflict there in a personal belief and that personal belief not being able to be uh, scaled up, yeah. I suppose. It's, and I think good beliefs should kind of work for everybody, but I, I don't know. I think. A, and I don't want it to sound as if I'm trying to undermine mm-hmm. Doss and what he did, like because he was absolute badass dude. And you can't oh, yeah. argue that he didn't show bravery. Yeah. And It's and, our contradictions his... that make us interesting, I think. Is, exactly. Uh, yeah. Natalie, yeah. I'm well aware you have a, a little girl who is very much wanting your attention. So we're going to let is. you go. Thank you so much for okay. joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank and I hope much. to see you again sometime. See you in a bit. Have- fantastic so that is our show today ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for joining us super special mega thanks to natalie for coming yeah. in like the boss that she is she has just... so much knowledge it scares me <laughs> somebody should give that girl her own podcast if you ask me you know yeah, and then definitely. and then she should invite us on so we can be guest hosts and yeah. she can do all the work of the editing and, and, then, and, then, and then we'll all have cake at the end <laughs> <laughs> fantastic thank you for joining us listeners next week we're going to be doing The Adjustment Bureau starring Matt Damon love so we that hope you can, film we hope you can join us for that until then Phil have you had a good time I always have a good time on this podcast you know that <laughs> you know what me too it is an absolute shining light thank you so much guys see you next week bye bye Gordon Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff and Phil Coleman mixing by Phil editing by Giles Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh and our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Waffle editing by Natalie Austin. Fact checking by Christina Stanard Good. God in Film is a Dask production. Please rate and review, unless it's a one star, in which case send a coded message by following these exact instructions. Buy a first class stamp and a greetings card to send to Phil. In it, write these words. Phil and Elise, congratulations on the birth of your daughter, Astrid Emmeline Coleman. And he'll know what that means.